0: Good morning, church. Good morning, church. One more time. Good morning, church. I'm actually testing the mic. Thank you very much for your participation. I appreciate it. Um, what a wonderful song. All of my help comes from the Lord. All of your help comes from the Lord. What a better source than God himself. Is there a better source, help, strength, Healing, deliverance, just pretty much all types of ministry. Is there a better source than the Almighty God Himself? If, if you know a better source, I want to know about it. The reality is that there is no better source than God Himself. My wife and I, we live our lives on mission. We have devoted ourselves as such because we believe that God is the ultimate, the ultimate purpose for which we live out our lives. Amen, somebody. <clears throat> Before I get into this, this message that I have for you this morning, I uh, just wanted to express my heart to you as a congregation. I want to thank you so much for um, the love that you have shown us, my wife and I. I want to thank you so much for for being our family, for taking us in. There has not been a moment during our nine days of stay here where we felt isolated, where we felt alone, where we felt tolerated. Uh, on the contrary, um, you guys have embraced us, some of you more than others, because we actually were able to spend a lot of intimate time with some of you. Um, I especially enjoyed our time together, uh, my time with the leadership of this church. Um, on numerous occasions, such such a wonderful time together. It's been a refreshing time for us. Um, It wasn't necessarily a vacation for my wife and I to travel out here, but certainly it turned into one. Um, Getting away from work, things of that nature, and just to be in the presence of our extended family. What a wonderful time. I I have to say this, that it was also... A very refreshing time to be over at vet's parents' home. We felt welcome there. We felt privileged. We felt honored to be in the presence of such wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. I love them already, and I can't wait to come back to eat one of her fine meals in her kitchen. <clears throat> I, I hope she understands what I'm saying. Yeah, I won't leave wonderful time, Ron, I want to thank you so much as well, you've been a very, very dear friend, very, it's been a blessing, my brother Eddie, Joey, Tim, who stepped out, vet, Jennifer, te amo mucho, te quiero mucho, muchas gracias, por tu amor, it was, what a wonderful time, just send me a bill. What a wonderful time. Who else? Um, I wish I had more time to give you my heart. I wish I had more time to give you my heart. It's, um, it's been an awesome time out here. And I love South California. It's a wonderful place. Although we expected warmer weather. What a bummer. It's hotter back east than it is out here. Yesterday it was 78 in Philadelphia. Here it was 48. <clears throat> Go figure. I want you to know that you guys have been in my prayers as a congregation. I know what you guys have been through. I know what you guys, I know what lies ahead. Um, and um, though it may not necessarily be entirely easy, God has wonderful things in store for this congregation. Because that's the kind of God He is. You may not necessarily understand where your help, where your strength, where the anointing, where the deliverance, where the freedom is going to come from. I said it last week, I'll say it again. God does not give us a backstage pass behind the scenes so that we could understand ahead of time what it is He's doing in our lives. He just doesn't do that. Why? Because faith is required to understand the mechanisms of god the behind the scenes dealings of god what is he doing in my life as an individual what is he doing in this congregation as a body of believers he's not going to give you a heads up he requires your heart he he hebrews 11, six says without faith it is impossible To please God. Without faith it is impossible to understand the mysteries of God. Without faith it is impossible to understand the will of God. The purpose of God. For you as an individual or for this place as a congregation. It's impossible without faith. So lay down your biases Lay down your differences, lay down your apathy, lay down your intellectualism, lay down your philosophy, lay down all of those things that, you, you, the, that are categorized under human effort. Lay down those things because if you do not, you're going to impede the will of God from being manifested in this place. Let me read to you. Let's get into the Word of God. Turn your Bibles, please, if you will, to Acts chapter 4. The title of this message is The Ideal Church. The Ideal Church. But don't misunderstand the title. Don't misunderstand the title one bit. This message is not going to be about the illusion of a perfect church. We all know, we've all been around the block, and we all know there is no such thing as a perfect church. The reason for which is because the church is comprised of imperfect individuals. We will always express our personal biases and our personal opinions, and we have this inclination for interpreting Scripture in our own way. And as a result, and not, not to mention the sin that exists in our lives, and all of these things serve as a, as an impediment, if you will. We sort of hinder and obstruct the will of God from perfectly manifesting itself in our lives as individuals and in our lives as a corporate body of believers. We interfere with the work of God in God's house. Nevertheless, it is possible. To experience exactly, or rather to become the church that God desires for this church to become after its transition is complete. It is possible. This message is about recognizing a few principles from this one particular passage which was served to, which served to make the early church such a blessing. We're actually going to talk about the early church, the first church after Pentecost. And what that looks like, naturally, we are not able, we're not going to be able to talk about all the wonderful things that actually made up that early church. We just can't do it. We need a couple of weeks. We need a couple of months. And that is 24 hours a day in the house of God uh, to sort of unpack all the wonderful things that are in this one particular passage. So you forgive me if I do not bring out or discuss a particular principle you may want to hear from this one particular passage. Let me ask you this. As a church, what do you consider to be the ideal church? What kind of church are you zealous to be a part of? How about this one? What kind of church are you hoping this one becomes after its transition is complete? We all have our ideas. I know because I've heard it. I've heard it come from your mouth. My encouragement to you is that as you move forward as a body, as a community of believers, you answer the following question with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength What kind of church does God desire this church to become? You are in transition. All the pieces may seem to be scattered, if you will, to a degree. Everything may not necessarily be, necessarily be in the position you want it to be. But make no mistake about it, God is orchestrating this transition. Whether you like it or not, whether it's been a pleasurable transition to you or not whether it's been a painful transition to you or not the latter is probably more of a reality it's been a painful transition and i know that and i understand that but you cannot you cannot give up on god you must not give up on god some of you are contemplating transitioning away from this church you must not Give up on God because of the failures of certain individuals. You must not give up on God. He is still on his throne. God is still sovereign. God is still working things out. Amen, somebody. God is still on the throne. Acts chapter 4. Read with me beginning with verse 32. Acts 4, I still hear the pages, beginning with verse 32. If you have it, say amen. Amen. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Excuse me. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold the field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias. Why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. After three hours later, his wife came in, <clears throat> not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. The apostles were performing many miracles Miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colony. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. Thank God for his word. We're going to stop right there. What principles can we apply to this church from this one particular passage? There are many, as I said to you already. There are lots of things that we can extract or exegete from this one particular passage that would actually no doubt serve as a blessing to you as a community. The reason why I chose this one particular passage, led by God's Spirit, I believe with all my heart, is because this represents... God's dealings with His people during the early part of the church. The church was established right here in this one particular passage. And the Holy Spirit Himself was responsible for laying out the framework of what was served as God's family this side of heaven. So, concerning the transition that this church is experiencing, what better passage to look at So that we can glean the wisdom from the early apostles in terms of how they were led by the Spirit of God. So that we can formulate. So that this body of believers can look exactly how God wants it to look. Listen, this is not about isms or sophies or ologies. This is not about one man's perspective, one man's idea. It's not about tradition. It's not about customs or rituals. The church should not be made up of those things. We need to ask ourselves, Lord, what do you desire of this church? What kind of church do you desire this church to become on the other side of its transitional process? What are you desiring to take away from this church? What things, what principles, what truths, what ideals are you desirous, Lord God, of bringing into the house of God? So that this church can best reflect the will of of God. That's what this message is about. It's about reflecting the purpose of God. Reflecting the will of God. Why? Because the stakes are high. It's not about you. This church was planted in this community by God Himself long ago so that it can be a blessing, number one, to the people who choose to come into this house, and number two, so God can be a blessing to the surrounding community. Amen, somebody? God is desirous to be a blessing to this one particular community that this church was planted in. It's not about entertainment within the four walls of this church. And that's it. Se acabó. Vamos para nuestros hogares. It's not about that. It's about being a blessing in this one community. Point number one in that regards is vision. Look at verse 33 with me, please. It says the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Essentially, they were, they were declaring the good news. They were going out declaring the wonderful news of the gospel. That's what it means. It means they chose to live according to the Lord's purpose. What was And is and always shall be, this side of heaven, God's purpose for His people. That's the question. What was, is and always shall be God's purpose for His people. What is His purpose for His people? What motivated the apostles to move around the known world the way that they did? What motivated them to gather in the way that they did? To proclaim the good news in spite of the trouble They received from the known world who chose to reject, denounce, dismiss the truth of God's Word. Vision is what motivated them. The vision was rooted and grounded in one verse. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. You are acquainted with that verse, I'm sure. It's the Great Commission... Jesus' mandate upon His church. He said, I want you to go forth. I want you to proclaim the good news to the world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That was the mandate. It's the mission. It was the mission then, or rather, I'm sorry, the vision then. And it still ought to be the vision of the church today. That vision drove the church. It was their purpose. And it ought to be our purpose today as well. Why? There are some very important things. Just going to say one. Vision gives us identity. Did you get that? Vision gives us identity. Your theme this month or this year, I'm not sure, I forget the words, is intentional. Vision inspires us to be intentional with our lives god desires for you and i to love him to serve him and to do so in spirit and in truth that's what the bible teaches and as believers we are supposed to live our lives on mission we're supposed to be intentional with our service to god why because it's a means by which we proclaim or declare the gospel of jesus christ there's a dying world outside of these walls How many knows someone outside of your family who doesn't know Jesus Christ personally? How many knows someone within your family who does not know Jesus Christ personally? There's a mission field. There's a harvest field. And Jesus Christ said the harvest field is white, but the laborers are few. The church has no business. To be occupied or to be confined or to be restricted within the four walls of any location whatsoever. Yes, we are to come in fellowship in this one particular manner. But the vision is to go forth and multiply as it was in the Garden of Eden 6,000 years ago, I would imagine. God commanded man to go forth and multiply. The commandment still exists for you and I today. We are to go forth and multiply. We are to convey, to tell it on the rooftops if we must. Through a bullhorn, we're to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. How many enjoy the salvation you are experiencing today? Oh Lord, have mercy. There are those outside these walls who do not know, who have yet to experience the peace that you are acquainted with as a child of God. That was a vision in the early church, and it should be the vision of this church today as well. The question is, how did they carry it out? They had a vision, but a vision has to have a vehicle, a means by which, a catalyst, an instrument by which to carry out, realize, or fulfill the vision. In this one particular passage, I dare say the vision, or rather the mission, because that is, in fact, the means by which vision is fulfilled. The mission was and ought to be in our lives today one word. You ready? Community. Community. Look at your Bible again. Look at verse 32. It says all the believers were, come on read it to me, all the believers were, all the believers were united in one heart and soul. Or depending on the version that you're reading, all the believers were united in heart and mind. But the part of that verse that I want to focus on for the moment right here is all the believers were United. All the believers were united. It doesn't say all the believers were scattered. It does not say all the believers were harboring indifference towards one another. It doesn't say all the believers were harboring apathy towards one another. It doesn't say all the believers were seeking or fulfilling their own will. It says all the believers were united. And as a result, They went on to impact the known world in a very extraordinary way. God moved mightily in them and through them. And if you read your passage, thousands came to faith as a result of that unity, as a result of that community. They were a community of believers. What does community mean? I looked up the Greek word. I may not necessarily be able to pronounce it correctly. It is koinonia. And it means fellowship. It means fellowship. God's people are supposed to be in fellowship. God's people then, long ago, 2,000 years ago, they were in fellowship and they achieved lots of amazing and extraordinary things. The church... Definition of fellowship is as follows. A group of men or women leading a common life. How simple, yet how powerful. I'm going to read that again. A group of men or women leading a common life according to a rule in the context of God's standard. We are to live a common life. Life according to the standard of the word of God, not according to some philosophy, not according to some fable, some story, some secular standard, something that's not rooted and grounded in the word of God. God's people are supposed to be united in fellowship, united in community according to the standard of God. If there is no standard, there is no community. There is no standard. There cannot be any fellowship. It's not about your way or my way. It's not about your interpretation or my interpretation. It's about God's standard. What does what does God have to say about what we should look like as a body of believers? Community. Look at verse 32 again, please. It says, All the believers were united in heart and mind. So this actually describes the type of community or the nature of the community. It's an intimate community. It's a community devoted to one another. It says all the believers were united in heart and mind. The Holy Spirit selected those words very carefully. It's not a mistake that heart and mind is in this passage. It describes the nature of our community. Or rather, I should say, it described the nature of their community, and it ought to describe the nature of our community. Oh, what a disaster it would be for you and I to gather together like believers and not to be knit together in heart, in mind. Can you imagine? I don't know. It's a sore spot. We are all too acquainted with how that looks. I know. That's why this press passage is being read this morning. All the believers were united in heart and mind. Heart, it's essentially, the word that we can subscribe here is devotion. With my heart, I devote myself to God. With my mind, I commit Myself to God. God does not just simply want my mind. He doesn't want me to simply acknowledge that he exists. He doesn't simply want me to acknowledge the word of God or the truth of God. Because without my heart, I'm just simply going to be a religious person. Someone going through the motions of what somebody somebody believes Christianity looks like. When you involve your heart in what you know to be true, it revolutionizes your life. They were united in heart and mind. God's people today need to be united in heart and mind. You guys are well versed in the knowledge of the Word of God. But because of the circumstance recently, because of the transition that you find yourself in, it's quite difficult to somehow engage the gospel, or engage one another with regard to our hearts. How do I reconstitute myself? How do I involve myself, involve my heart once again? How do I give my heart to so-and-so once again? I've been hurt. I'm not going to do it. If you make a claim like that, you're not willing to fulfill or realize the community the Holy Spirit is seeking to establish in this location. A community ultimately that's going to be charged or commissioned by God to extend beyond these walls for the purpose of making a difference in this community. It's a phrase we say, we say in Spanish back home: No te vistas, que no vas. Devotion. It's about heart, right? Go with me, if you will. John chapter 13. I want you to see this. I'm watching the clock. John 13. Look at verse 34 and 35. It says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my Oh, let's try that again. That's not good. That's not good. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It says, so now I'm giving you, verse 34, chapter 13, verse 34. It says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are different. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my children. That I have sanctified you. That I have called you. That I have blessed you. That I have equipped you. In other words, I'm seeking to use you. I want to make a difference in the lives of the people around you. But I want to do that through you. I want to do that through the beauty of community. That's what we're talking about here. It's about community. Another verse. Go to Philippians chapter 2 quickly. Philippians chapter 2. I have it in front of me. I could read it, but I want you to see it. We're talking about community here this morning. God is seeking to transform our hearts and he does it through his voice through his truth and by the way it's truth not truth it's truth Amen. <laughs> commitment we're talking about commitment look at Philippians chapter 2 Verse 3 and 4. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Wow. That's actually in there. It says, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. What? Really? Some of you are like, that's actually in the Bible? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Take an interest in others also. What a remedy. You talk about a pill. You talk about a solution. You talking about a problem-solving principle. For this church, right there in those two verses, when you consider one another, you need to exalt one another. If I'm exalting you and you are exalting me, there's no room for pride. There's no room for indifference. There's no room for apathy. There's no room for backbiting or criticism or anything along those lines. If we are exalting one another, where's the, the room? Where's the wiggle room for? A personal crisis. Are you seeing this with me? Let's move on. Go to James chapter 2. Verse 14. This one particular passage we read in the book of Acts. Extraordinary things. I said it to you already. Extraordinary things took place. In the lives of the believers and in the the surrounding community, because they were united in heart and mind. And the one amazing thing they gave birth to as a result of this community they established was in fact the wonderful beauty of generosity. We read it. They sold possessions. has nothing to do with socialism or communism. Don't even go there. It was necessary for God's people to love on one another. And as a result, they sold possessions. Those who had extra were looking out for those who did not have anything. And it wasn't a perfect sin system because sin later entered the church. And we read just two chapters later or three. Paul, the apostle, or actually more than a few chapters later, we find that Peter and Paul, they're going on missions. Because they, they were asking for donations to feed this one community that was living large. Because everybody was, in, everybody was united in community. Now Paul the apostles and the other apostles were actually looking for funds to take care of them. They ran out of money somehow. That's another message. But look at James chapter 2 verse 14. What good is it dear brothers and sisters... and useless. Oh, we know how to love one another when we are in each other's presence. Oh, we know what to say, how to say, how long to say it. But we, when we turn our backs on one another, this is not in there, Lord have mercy. When we turn our backs on each other, it's almost always quite differently. Point number three, the last point. I had a few more things there I wanted to share, but I have to move on. Just remember that point. Because it is, in fact, the gist of the message, the heart of the message. It is, in fact, why the early church succeeded as they did. Community. If you don't remember anything else, remember community. God is calling us. To be united in heart and mind. But this point, I cannot ignore it because it has to be delivered. And it has to do with um, Acts chapter 5. Go back there. Acts chapter 5. We're not going to read the verses again because there are too many. But Acts chapter 5, I want you to make a note, a mental note of these things. 5 verses 1 through 11 is the story about Ananias and Sapphira and their sin. And their sin. And the idea in these, among others, in those verses, is that Satan found a way in. The enemy of our souls, he found a way in to their community. And he managed to entice a couple to become completely disassociated from God's community. I'm going to read that again. The idea here is that Satan found a way in and he managed to to entice a couple to become completely disassociated from God's community. Why? Because Satan was seeking to destroy what God had recently established. With the concept and I wish I can run away with this thing for an hour or two because it's powerful God can transform a family if the family is united together. What's the old cliche or the old saying? A family that... A, a little more with... A, put a little umph behind that. Come on, little. let's try that again. One, two, three. The family that... Praise the family that prays together stays together. And it's not about prayer. It's about community. Prayer is just one of the tools God utilizes in us and through us to strengthen us. So is Bible reading. So make up a little cliche. The family that reads the Bible together stays together. See, there's no rhythm there, right? But you, you understand where I'm going with that. <clears throat> and community is absolutely powerful. Satan listen, he's 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 looking. The Bible says in First Peter chapter five, verse eight, it says, Be sober. Be vigilant, because you adversary, every survey, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may devour. God is orchestrating his business, his, his ministry, his community, this side of heaven. And the enemy is always looking for a way in to destroy, to compromise what God is doing. To counter... The wonderful things that God seeks to do, this side of heaven. The vision is simple. We we have a word. We have a message. We have a gospel. We have a truth that's capable of revolutionizing our lives for eternity. Eternity is on the line here. And God chose to utilize community as a vision. The, I mean, the mission, the means by which His vision, this side of heaven, is fulfilled. Community is the mission. You cannot move forward as individuals. You have to move forward as a community. But in Acts 5 verses 1 through 11, Satan slips in unawares. He deceives a particular couple. Rather, he nourishes the error within them. Because they were probably greedy. They were probably selfish. They were definitely hypocrites. They were going through the motions. It was their nature. They were struggling with that one particular sin. And Satan just simply walked in the front door and capitalized. He he blew on it. He fanned it out. He nurtured it a little bit. They were held responsible later because they were the ones making the mistake. They lied to God. They were pretenders. They were pretenders. They were hypocrites. Where are we as a church or as individuals with the principle of community or fellowship? To what degree have we taken ownership of our Christian fellowship? I got a couple quotes for you. Where there is no human connection, there is no compassion. Without compassion, then community, commitment, loving kindness... Human understanding and peace all shrivel. Individuals become isolated, the isolated turn cruel, and the tragic hovers in the forms of domestic and civil violence. Susan Vreeland. How about this one? Every successful individual knows that his or her achievement depends on a community of persons working together. Paul Ryan. Number three, without a sense of caring, there can be no sense of community. Anthony J. D'Angelo. And lastly, we cannot seek achievement for ourselves and forget about progress and prosperity for our community. Our ambitions must be broad enough to include the aspirations and needs of others for their sakes and for our own. You might know this guy. Cesar Chavez. But Jesus, Jesus Christ put it this way in Matthew 22. You don't have to go there. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Community. That type of commitment does not allow any room for hypocrisy in closing nothing is more detrimental to our community today than for professing believers going through the motions it invites disaster it invites disaster you have to be intentional you love the lord you want to serve the lord You want to fulfill God's mandate upon this this church? You have to participate. Recognize what is God's vision for this church. The vision that's always been for the church. The vision that's always been for the body of Christ. Go ye. That's the vision. Appropriate the truth of God's word and then go ye. Fill it in. Put your name in there. Take ownership of it. Make it personal. Lay down your differences. Lay down your indifference. Lay down your your, your apathy. Oh, it's destructive. Recognize the mission of the church. The mission of the church. The vehicle. The means by which God's vision is realized or fulfilled this side of heaven. The mission is community. Community, not disunity, community. You have to find a way to come together. You have to find a way to come together, God's people. Are you listening to me? You have to find a way to come together. And if that means reaching out to certain individuals that are no longer here, because they may be entertaining the idea of coming back, but there's so much pain, there's so much upheaval, to a degree, then we need to find out how, Lord God... Am I going to do my part in this community that you're talking about this morning? How am I going to do my part? It's not about dismissing so-and-so left. So what? Let them leave. No, that's the devil talking right there. That's the devil talking right there. And yes, I understand. I'm not naive. Not everybody's going to come back and not everybody should be sought out. I know that. But when the Spirit is leading, you have to find your place. You have to line up. In sync, we like, to, we like to synchronize our gadgets. Synchronize your soul, your life, your spirit to the movement of the Spirit of God. Lord, what are you doing with this church? What is it you desire of this church? And then say, let it be so. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, I thank you this morning. Lord, I wish I had another hour. Lord, I know there's a roast in the oven someplace. I know that there are reservations in certain restaurants. It's Mother's Day. And Lord, I also know that I I did not preach on mothers, about mothers this morning. Father, I just wanted to be faithful. I wanted to declare publicly what you have revealed to me in secret. Lord God, I pray your blessings on this church. Beginning with the janitor all the way up, Lord God, to the person who stands behind his pulpit from time to time. Lord God, let none escape you this morning. Let none escape you this morning, Lord God. Grab a hold of every heart and every mind, Lord God, and knit them all together. Formulate, Lord God, your community here in this local place. Put it together, Lord God. There are pieces right now. Some things don't make sense anymore, Lord God. Things have been raveled, disoriented. Oh, hallelujah. But you are the almighty living God. And it is our belief, Lord God, that you are still on your throne. You are still sovereign. You are still in control, Lord God. Father, work it out by your Holy Spirit. Move in the hearts and minds of your people here. And I pray a special prayer. For those here today who do not know you personally, they've come for whatever reason, Lord God. I'm not sure what their motivations were, but you do, Lord God. And perhaps this wasn't necessarily a message geared toward them, but I pray you somehow make them understand, Lord God, whoever they may be, that you love them and that you desire intimate fellowship with them because their eternity is on the line. Where they will reside for eternity is at stake right here and right now. And I pray, Lord God, that if there is anybody here that doesn't know you personally, that they may in their heart, in their heart, repeat a simple prayer like, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that I need you in my life. I recognize that you died for me. You were buried for me and that you rose again for me, Lord God, on the third day. I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive my sin. Take it all away. And to come into my life. Become my Lord and my Savior. And lead me onward as your disciple. Father, I thank you so much for this time. I pray your blessings on this church. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for having us. It's been an honor. It's been a privilege. And I hope to see you all again soon. God bless you guys.